Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Basement Binge. Another episode in the binge through Fast and Furious. You saw the titles, Fast and Furious 6. Oh, man, we're really moving through this series quickly. I mean, I guess it's kind of fitting for the title. But once again, I'm joined by the wonderful Matt from Matt Goes to the Movie as part of my podcast family, as I've named him. So, Matt, go ahead and introduce yourself again. Hi, everybody. Uh, Harrison, yeah, you you said it yourself. Uh, I'm Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies, and we are flying through these episodes, which luckily they've gotten better as these episodes have yes. gone on. So uh, it's really fun to be back here, especially for uh, these two, and one of them I considered the best of the bunch. So I'm I'm really excited to talk about them. Yeah, I am too. So Matt kind of mentioned it. This is a double recording tonight. It's two separate episodes that are going to be released. You're listening to the first one, Fast and Furious 6, and then we're going to do Furious 7, which is going to be really hard because it's hard to separate the thoughts in my brain between the two, but we'll see how it goes, you know, trial and error. Um, But yeah, I I agree. These episodes have been getting better as the series goes along. So we will just jump in super quick to the very, very first segment, Two Cents. This is where we give our spoiler-free reaction, initial thoughts, you know, our, our two cents about the film before we get into the spoilers. Matt, I'll let you kick it off here for Fast and Furious 6. Yeah, you know, Fast and Furious 6 is, I think, an episode that, well, uh, a movie that you really, in a lot of parts, you do have to turn your brain off and just enjoy it. But again, I think with some of these later additions, uh, this is a movie that has some pretty good heart to it has the story and the core of family um, right at the heart of this movie. Some really, I think, good performances and a pretty strong antagonist in this movie. I really, really like the villain. Uh, Obviously, we'll go into spoilers later, but I think he was one, at least for me, um, he was one of the most compelling ones because he seemed actually interesting. I like some of the dialogue that he had in this movie. So 
I enjoy I enjoy this movie. I think it's pretty well done, actually, in terms of certain aspects of it. But there's some logic defying things that really just they make me laugh. But it's Fast and the Furious. So it, you've come to expect it by now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That That is for sure 100 percent part of it. Uh, I, and I'll just kind of start into my two cents. You're falling up where you left off. It's interesting how this franchise continually changes, especially as you think about like Fast and Furious 1, like, because you said something like this one has a great villain, like a good villain was never something that I thought would be a part of a Fast and Furious movie. I mean, it's it's so interesting how this series has evolved, particularly in Fast and Furious 6, because it's like the level that they get to in this one is so ridiculous it's almost like fun in its own way and especially the way it's so self-aware of that ridiculousness um but it's also kind of to a fault it was there was so many times where my suspension of disbelief was totally ruined i was like there i mean like it's a fast and furious movie you kind of have to turn your brain off and enjoy it a little bit which I, there's nothing wrong with that but i found that particularly for this film it was harder to do um where, like, for example, what we just came from Fast Five was, like, that was just great the entire time. Like, I I was engaged and 100% in it. Like, even in Fast Five when they're dragging a giant safe down the street, like, there was never a moment where I was like, that's stupid. Where, like, this one I found myself saying that a little bit too frequently for a Fast and Furious movie, which you almost say all the time during a Fast and Furious movie. But I do agree. The villain was great, which I was not expecting to be in a Fast and Furious movie. In fact, the villain kind of reminded me of, I think his name is Solomon Lane from the Mission Impossible movies. I think that's his name. Like in the, I, I don't know why, but he reminded me a lot of him. Maybe it's because they look similar. I'm not sure. Um, but also what you said, Matt, the themes of family, you know, what we all know, I mean, if you don't know, sadly, Paul Walker passed away during the making of the seventh Fast and Furious movie. And because of that, his character was kind of written out of the franchise. And, and that's also just a sad thing in, in real life. So, so knowing what was coming in Furious 7, like knowing that that's part of the story, the th strong, strong themes of family, which I think every single entry into the Fast and Furious franchise, that theme gets stronger and stronger. And the bond between these characters becomes more and more engaging and more and more solid. And, and I become more and more involved in. So, I watching this, I knew that like, man, Fear 7 is going to rip my heart out. Like I knew it would be sad, but I knew that it was going to be like brutal sad after watching this, which is great. It's, it's a great compliment to the film that the, the theme is that strong. But that was a really long two cents that I wasn't expecting to have. So those are kind of my spoiler free thoughts about the film. Anything you want to tack on, Matt? Yeah, I just think, um, you know, watching these movies uh, again, I watching it didn't hit me until these two, uh, especially the little recap that they do in six. Like you said, um, I forget how much I actually, even though, like you said, there's certain parts where you're like, Oh, like this is dumb or that wouldn't happen. But then there's certain parts where I just see these characters on screen and I forget how emotionally attached I've become to the characters in this franchise. And, uh, these two movies were like just a swift kick to remind me of how much uh, 
I've actually cared about the people in this in this series. Oh yeah, definitely. I what well, isn't it like during the opening credits that it has kind of like the montage of all the films, right? Right. Yeah. It yeah, it has that during the opening credits and I I I literally I watched it today before we talked about this movie. So, a lot of it is like really really fresh with me and I don't know why it was just hitting me a little bit harder than what I thought it usually did. Um just how much I I like these these characters again some of the stuff in the movie i just don't care for but just the characters on screen i have invested a lot in oh yeah i agree say what you will about the story or what's happening on screen i think that we've talked about this so many times in the the franchise inquiry segment on the past few uh, episodes the strongest thing that fast and furious has going for it is the characters and i think that they've found a really great way to have the emotions and motives and and personality of the characters kind of consistent through the entire franchise, even as it kind of redefines itself continually. And it's made the theme around family like actually emotional and not just like a, a joke. Like I, I went into this series expecting that the theme of family was 100% a joke and it, it by no means is it. And, and the other thing that I'll add on is I love seen Justin Lin, the director of these films since Tokyo Drift, get better and better and better. I'll talk about it more when we get into the spoilers, but like the movie opens, obviously with a race, and the way that that race is filmed and edited, you can tell that this individual has been doing it for a while. And it's just, it's great to see the things that you do enjoy about these films get better and the skill of them being crafted kind of honed in. It's, it's exciting to see that. Um, it, yeah, it, it's, I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So with that, we will move on to the, ne- to the next segment. But before we get into the spoilers, it is rummage for the rotten. So this is a segment that's on the show that we've come up with, started with the very first Fast and Furious episode. But on a guest, when I have a guest on the show, we have an opportunity to guess who is the rotten. The rotten is an individual who likes this film the least. Now that could be, both of us give the film a five out of five, but one of us likes it slightly less, and that individual would be the rotten. So we'll take turns. We'll guess who we think is going to be the rotten, meaning the individual who's going to like it the least. You can vote for yourself, and then at the end of the episode, we'll reveal who the rotten is. I will guess first. I think, and I'm going out on a limb here, that I'm, I'm still not quite sure how I feel about this. Just kind of get into my thoughts a little bit more. And I almost kind of like giving you some hints. I, I I was preparing my notes for this, and granted, watching Furious Seven today like muddies my memory of what happens in the sixth one, so that doesn't help. But I'm having a hard time remembering it, which is like that's never a good sign. Um. So, but I but I do remember like enjoying it and having some good thoughts about it. Additionally, I remember that you had this this one you know, I'm cheating and looking at our rankings here. Like, you had this one decently near the top. You had it at spot number four. So I think it's going to be pretty close, but I'm going to guess that... Yeah, I'm still not sure. Uh, I'll guess. I think that that I'm going to like this one. That that you'll be the Ron. That's what I'm trying to say. I think that you're going to be the Ron with this one, with Fast and Furious 6. All right. I think... 
I think I, I think you're right. Um, just because some of the I, I like this movie, some of the things in this one for some reason are a little like the ridiculousness in this movie does get to me compared to some of the ridiculousness in other movies. So I think for that reason alone, I, some of it, I can't overlook and not have it affect my grade. So I will agree that I will be the rock in this one. Okay. Well, we'll see how it goes. We'll got to get into it and we'll really see who it ends up being. Um, I'm intrigued again, because I think a lot of this conversation is actually going to solidify my opinion about the film because, again, writing down it, I was, you know, I, I went through screenshots and pictures on IMDb to kind of refresh myself what happened in the movie, but, but it's, it's never a good sign when you have a hard time remembering what happened in the movie. Maybe that's just because I'm so busy, but, but, but either way, I'm, I, I really think that what you say is going to have a strong influence on what I think about this movie, so choose your words carefully. Um, but we will... Move on into the spoilers. Before we do that, as always, we got to move on to announcements. Please, if you are enjoying these episodes, leave a review on podchaser.com slash the basin binge. Also linked in the show notes. It just helps us me know what episodes you're enjoying. The feedback is great. Really, really do appreciate it. Podchaser.com is just a great, it's kind of considered the IMDb of podcasting. Also, anybody who leaves a review, I'll enter you a chance to win a free screen pass through Movies Anywhere on me, which is great. But also, if you've been listening to these episodes, you know what I'm about to say. I'm going to turn it over to Matt to talk about his show a little bit. Thanks. Uh, yes. Yeah, so for listeners, if this is the first episode that you've listened to in the Fast Saga, uh, I'm Matt. I do a podcast called Matt Goes to the Movies, which Harrison has been on several times, which I appreciate. Um, and these have been a lot of fun, but... Harrison has been on Matt Goes to the Movies for Loki, which we record every Thursday, which has been a lot of fun. We've done that with uh, WandaVision, and we've also done that with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Those have been a really good time. And coming up, besides Loki, I'm actually really excited because I pretty much have the next crop of reviews ready to go. So... Uh, Harrison, if you don't mind, I just uh, go over those really quick and oh, just let let people know what's coming out. So basically how Harrison has done a Fast and Furious binge here, uh, I am going to binge Tom Cruise in anticipation for Top Gun Maverick. Oh, Something I'm excited. I'm really, really excited for in that movie. And it will start with, I actually have these dated out where uh very sh- soon june 25th i will be reviewing minority report that episode will be released following that uh on the 29th of june it will be oblivion a movie i harrison i know you enjoyed um, oh yeah i have an episode on it right yes there. you do yes you do um so i'll be doing oblivion on july 2nd i will be reviewing the last samurai one of my favorite tom cruise movies And then on July 6th, in anticipation for Top Gun Maverick coming out the day after, um, I will be doing the original Top Gun. And then July 9th will be my review for Top Gun Maverick. So that's pretty much the upcoming slate for Matt Goes to the Movies, minus obviously Loki and talking about Fast and Furious with Harrison. So I'm really excited for those episodes. Wow. I... 
These are great episodes. I got to give myself a prayer for the episodes you're releasing. Equilibrium. I finally got to watch that so I can listen to your episode. And then The Last Samurai, I have been dying to watch forever. And then every single time I have a chance to go watch it, I forget. Or I have like a scheduled watch like for the podcast. So now I have even more motivation knowing that you have an episode coming out on it. But I, I'm a huge fan of Tom Cruise. So as soon as you said that you were binging Tom Cruise, I, I got a huge grin on my face. I'm looking forward to those episodes. Those all sound great. Yeah, it uh, should be a lot of fun. I, I definitely have enjoyed him over the years. So I'm excited to go back and rewatch some of these and watch the new Top Gun, which I didn't think uh, I would be. I had forgotten how much I had liked Top Gun. And then when this movie was announced, going back, uh, rewatching it before the pandemic and this movie was delayed. Um, and then anytime I see anything about Top Gun Maverick, I just get super excited, like almost giddy, like to, to see this movie. So really excited. Oh, yeah. I, I have to say that one of that there are two trailers in recent memory that stick out in my mind as like key moments where watching the trailer, I was like giddy like a child. One of them is the Dune trailer. The second one is Top Gun Maverick, particularly last year before it was delayed and that first trailer came out. I got so hyped. One, because I knew that it was being directed by Joseph Kaczynski, one of my favorite directors. He directed Tron Legacy, Oblivion. And then also Only the Brave. I think he's a fantastic director, one of my favorites. But also, I love Tom Cruise. And I love the Top Gun movies. And I, like, the way I got into Top Gun is that I bought the Top Gun game on PS3. And then my dad saw me playing it once. And, like, the Top Gun theme was playing. He's like, do you even know what this is from? And I was like, no. Like, I'm just playing a game. Like, and he's like, we got to watch Top Gun. So then we watched Top Gun. And obviously, I fell in love. So I am stoked for Top Gun Maverick, which you just got me distracted about, which I have no problem with. I, but... I agree with you that I think the Top Gun Maverick trailer, especially the first one was one of the best trailers I've ever watched, but obviously that's very subjective. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm in that wheelhouse with you. Yeah. So man, I'm excited. I love being on the inside scoop of what episodes you're <laughs> releasing. It gets me pumped for them. So, well, thank you again, Matt, for being here. I really, really do appreciate it. It's made these fast and furious episodes tons of fun. Okay, so let's actually get into the spoilers talking about Fast and Furious 6 with the very next segment, Pick Your Poison. Listeners of The Basement Binge, you know what this is. But if you haven't listened to a Basement Binge episode before, thanks for being here. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Pick Your Poison is the rating scale that I've created for this where it's all about how one would interact with the film after this particular watch for the episode. Bottom of the list, lowest ranking you can give it is to never watch it again. Extremely straightforward there. Above that is to stream it and where it's it's the idea that it's on a streaming service that you're already paying for and that you're just looking for something to watch and you just click on it because it's there. Above that is to rent it. In the right circumstances, you'd be willing to pay a few dollars and watch it. And top of the list is buy it, drop the dough on it, watch it as much as you like. I'll go first with this. I, I'm, I'm really kind of in between stream it and rent it. Uh, I don't think that I would rent it personally for myself. And, and this is kind of where I'm struggling with it. I really, really enjoyed it while I was watching it. But I don't think that I would watch it again unless like someone wanted to watch it with me or it was to be on a podcast or for review or, or whatever, like a binge I was doing with my friends or something. Like I would definitely not be opposed to watching it. Like if they're like, oh, let's watch Fast and Furious 6, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll chip in a dollar for it or whatever. Like I, I would be not opposed to that. But for myself, if it was just me, I might stream it on the occasion that I'm looking for something to watch. 
And it's just because, again, while I was watching it, there were particular moments that I really loved, particularly like I already talked about the directing and the humor, particularly Roman Pierce. I think he's hilarious in this movie. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez was really growing on me. We already talked about Dwayne Johnson last episode, how he's a great screen present. The, the action is good. I mean, it, it's kind of the same that we talked about in Fast Five, but just not quite as polished and a little bit too over the top that I, I like. I was enjoying myself while watching it, but I don't know that I would ever really have an interest to watch it again just because like I've already been fulfilled by watching it once. If that makes any sense. Yeah, this. Okay. So I like this movie a lot and I've been thinking about this as I've been rewatching these movies and I have no clue how I'm going to feel about fast nine. The thing about this movie is I feel like I like this movie as a setup to seven because of I, I cannot help but think about seven when I watch this movie and knowing what's to come. Oh, um, okay. Given the situation in real life, I feel like this. So the first one, the the Fast and the Furious, Fast and Furious, which is the fourth one, and. I feel like those should be so fast and furious one fast and furious four, five, six, and seven. I feel like though when you watch those, those are the comprehensive story. And I know we're talking about six, so this is just a little foresight. I feel like seven is the logical ending point for this franchise, which makes okay. of six more in a light of how does six lead into seven and how it tells the story. So, for me, this is a stream, but it's one that I would, it's one that I would own in that collection of if it ended with seven, I would own, technically speaking, one, four, five, six, and seven is what I would want to own because I feel like that tells the most comprehensive story with these characters. Um, I don't care that Tej is in Too Fast, Too Furious. I I just can't stand that movie. We've talked about that. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think it's hilarious that Tej, I think you actually said this last episode, he goes from being like the guy who's commentating on a, uh, a jet ski race with a megaphone to being like some super tech genius. Like, <laughs> and the, the comment about it is like, what, I had a life before you knew me? Like, what the heck? Right, yeah. Like, everybody took like Rosetta Stone for their field. Like... <laughs> Like yeah. hacking computers for dummies and like all of these, <laughs> like they just, it's like they all got the infinity stones and like yeah. the that they're in are just all powerful now. Yeah. The one that it seems like the most consistent character just as like a side note is Roman Pierce. Like he just kind of seems like the idiot who's in way too over his head. Who's just like a goofball and is way too cocky that like he seems like the most consistent like he hasn't like he hasn't leveled up at all like everyone else did <laughs> right yeah no he does have in terms of okay from where you saw him in the first appearance to now he does still feel like the same character where yeah like everybody's gotten you know an upgrade yeah but that that was a random sidetrack so we kind of back to pick your poison yeah i agree that like this one feels this makes it sound way worse than it is. 
this one feels like a really good film that's completely forgettable. Yeah, I I can't help. And again, I like this movie. But just back to back, I can't help talking about this one right now. Think about how it continues into seven, so to speak. Yeah. So in a way, like you said, it's it's almost forgettable because I look at certain aspects of this only to think about Furious Seven. Yeah, that, that's true. And I will say props to the people behind the franchise that that have this really lean into so much for seven. But, but like even like these are action movies. The things that make action movies memorable is like action set pieces. Fast Five, there's tons of them to remember. Obviously, the one we talk about a lot is the safe heist. This one, I am having a hard time remembering it besides the plane at the end. But that's because that was just like so over the top that I was like genuinely laughing at it like, who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> like, they're taking down a plane with harpoons. Like, yeah, it was engaging and it was well-directed action and it was fun, but it was like way over the top. So like, there's things about it that just like immediately kind of went in one eyeball out the other, if you will, where it's like, okay, I have now watched Fast and Furious 6. I'm going to mentally move on to what happens later. Um, it just kind of felt like a necessary, well-made stepping stone that you're never going to come back to. <laughs> so... Yeah, interesting. Um, I guess we'll kind of move on to the next segment here, which we've kind of hinted at, which is Live Up. This is where, because it's a film I'm seeing for the first time, I'll talk about my expectations going into the film, and then if it was able to live up to those expectations. That's how the segment got its name. Additionally, because Matt has seen these films before, he's going to talk about kind of his overarching expectations and almost like the legacy of the film, and if it's a good one or a bad one, and if it's... Yeah, just his thoughts about that. He's always great at, at... saying it better than I ever could. So my expectations in with this film was absolutely zero. Like, I knew zero about this film. Like, of all Fast and Furious movies, this is the one that I have heard the least about. Like, does anyone talk about this movie? I don't know. I've, I've seen things online. I've seen t- people talk about, obviously, Furious 7. They talk about Fast 5, how it's like almost like the peak of the franchise. I've heard about... Fast and Furious, particularly from you, Matt, how it was almost like a good reboot, bringing the, 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 the family, so to speak, back. Obviously, everybody knows about Tokyo Drift, either in a good or bad way. Too Fast, Too Furious, I knew that it was the least like film in the franchise. And fa- the Fast and the Furious, the original, obviously, I knew that one. This one, I genuinely knew absolutely nothing about. I had no idea what was going to happen, whether people liked it or disliked it, like... I have never had as much of a blank slate for a film as I have for this one. And it 100% lived up to that expectation of being a film that is totally not talked about. Like, the, yes, I can't, I can't say this enough. There are great things about this film. The direction is much better. There are great characterizations in this, particularly with Han and, and uh, Gal Gadot's character, whatever her name is. Um, definitely... Uh, Dom and Letty, I love the things between the two of them in this film, but my brain has taken those things and made them a part of Furious 7, like, if that makes sense. Like, like the whole things with Letty's memory and everything with the bad guy or the villain leading into uh, Jason Statham's character, like, all of that feels like things that were part of Furious 7 and not things that were part of this film. So, like, I genuinely 
would probably talk about this film thinking that I'm talking about Furious 7 when really I'm talking about things that happened in this film. So, yeah, it lived up to the expectations of being something that, like, yeah, I understand why people don't talk about it. Except for, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling, but weird expectations that it lived up to. But, Matt, go ahead. Stop me from rambling. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those are all really like super valid points and as far as living up for me like seeing it it comes off of fast five which again is uh, you know for a lot of people and almost for me the the pinnacle of this franchise it's certainly um if you've seen the rankings and remember the rankings that i've talked about where i place these movies it's right there. It's it's second on the list for me in terms of where these movies fall. So you have Fast Five that was like, wow. And if you've listened to these episodes, you know how much fun Harrison and I had talking about Fast Five. That was a blast. I felt like a kid opening up packs of cards and getting the one that I needed to complete like the particular <laughs> collection. I was just so excited to, to talk about the next point. And Furious 6 is good, but there's things that take a step back. I feel, you know, I didn't get to see if, you know, Dwayne Johnson had scheduling conflicts or anything, but he feels very absent in this movie. He's there in the beginning and then he, oh, nope. See, now I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about seven. Sorry. Um, thinking about, <laughs> I thought yeah. about seven, but I, um, I feel like that's kind of true here as well. Like, um, you know, so there's certain aspects where he does in this one. It's certainly more in seven, but where he's lacking, where it feels like he should have been in the scene. There's a twist that when I first saw it, I I said, that makes absolutely no sense. And then watching it today in preparation for this, I even more so it was like thinking about the rest of the movie and going, why did that character because we're in spoilers, put herself in any sort of danger, uh, dangerous situation whatsoever if she was on the villain's side this entire time. It just doesn't make sense for this to happen. Are but, you talking about Gina Corona's character? Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. When that Wh happened, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when that happened, I was like, what? Wh like, why is she chasing after Letty? Why are, like... Why is she shooting at bad guys? Why are bad guys shooting, like, legitimately shooting at her? I understand why they would shoot at Giselle. That's Gal Gadot's character in this movie. Why would they actively shoot at her? Or did Shaw not know, like, did they not know she was with Shaw? It just, it doesn't make sense. So there's certain things, again, that, like, I sit there and some of the ridiculousness in this one is harder to just overlook, but then you have things like Shaw in this movie, who again is, I think, really good. I like him as an actor to begin with. Um, if anybody doesn't know who we're talking about, um, it's actually Luke Evans who plays Owen Shaw in this movie, and he plays Dracula in Dracula Untold, which I absolutely love that movie um but you have scenes with him that are really good and i think he actually has really compelling dialogue and an interesting way of thinking 
Um, side note, I also love how all military pictures look like these guys somehow stop in the middle of nowhere and pose for like a calendar. <laughs> um, the, yeah. Like when they show, he's like, here's your target, Owen Shaw. And it's just like a picture of him leaning up against the wall with a gun, like looking <laughs> at the like, like somebody was like, Hey, Owen, take one for the camera, bud. Like who in the military takes a picture like that? Yeah. Like when, like, so I always love seeing those things. Um, but then you have moments like him and you have his standoff with Toretto. Um, and then you have the moment when Dom and Brian and Dom shows Brian the picture of Letty. And I totally believed Paul Walker's performance in that moment as Brian O'Connor, who seemed genuinely like pissed off and said, like, I used to do this all the time as a cop. Like, I know what he's doing. He's messing with yeah. you. And how dare he like throw Letty's name into this to get you back into this and seeing like the pain that it would cause Brian's character to like think that he's using Dom, you know, to get back, you know, to get at Shaw, but using Letty because Brian has still guilt over, you know, running Letty um, and her being killed in the first one. So you have some really weird moments in this movie. But then some really, I think, strong performances that make this thing a teeter-totter. It, it goes one way, yeah. and then the weight balances it. So that's a long-winded way to say, did it live up to expectations? I just feel like it's sometimes, even though I like it, sometimes it's a toss-up. I, I genuinely think if we had this conversation tomorrow, maybe I'd have a different thought than I do today. Yeah. And and I definitely think that for me, someone who's never seen these films before, if I hadn't watched, like if this wasn't a double recording, if I hadn't watched Fury 7 before recording this, I think my feelings would be a lot different. But there is so much that's just easy to like brush aside because of the 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 shadow that is Furious 7 and Fast 5. Like those are generally regarded as like the two best films in the franchise, generally. And Fast and Furious 6 is just kind of somewhere in the middle. But I will say that there are some great things. I, I agree that Paul Walker gives some of the best performances I've ever seen from him in this film consistently. In the moment you mentioned, in the moment when he's in the prison, um, he gives a great performance throughout, and I love this character. And it feels like this is genuinely Brian O'Connor that we met in the very first movie. And it, we mentioned that montage at the beginning, like it, I felt like that really reminded me of who these characters are and where they've come from and made all the performances that much better. Particularly, I was really leery about Letty coming back. Like, how is she going to come back? Is it going to be really stupid? And although the idea of like a memory being gone is like the most overused trope ever for retconning a character's death, I felt like the dynamic that it caused between her and Dom was really, really engaging. And I love, like, the race scene where, where Dom and Letty race. Like, I loved that moment. And, and their relationship and how dynamic it is. And I think Michelle Rodriguez gives an amazing performance. And, like, she's really grown on me as an actress. She's way more talented than I thought. So, yeah, I agree that there's parts of this that, like, I could really say some super positive things about. But then there's the end of the film, which I'll talk about more later, which, like, yeah, that's a super duper fun idea, and there's parts of it that's really, really fun, but it's also like the longest thing ever. Like, 
I remember watching the movie and I was looking at how much left of us and I was like, okay, it's about 30 minutes. That was the longest 30 minutes I've ever watched. Like, it just felt like it just kept escalating and wouldn't end. Like, oh no, they caught the bad guy. Oh, psych, he's going to walk out of here because he's got Mia. Like, okay, that was great, you know, because Mia was gone the whole film. Of course, he's going to go get her. Like, that makes sense for a villain and that makes him a great villain. So it's, again, it's a teeter-totter. That about him makes him a super great villain, but also makes the movie, like, overly long and unnecessarily escalating its finality. It's, it's finale. I would have loved the ending of the film if they just, like, caught him. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, the film's about to end. And, and I knew that there was 30 minutes left, and I was like, what is the last 30 minutes going to be? Like, is it just kind of going to be, like, the gang going back and being together and enjoying their family? But then you get Hobbs, like, totally flipping his character and, like, I, I don't feel like Hobbs is a character who would, like, say, oh, let's let this guy walk away because of one person. Like, since when does he care so much about Mia? Like, I think it's great because it kind of lets Hobbs become more and more part of the team and him and Dom develop a friendship. But it's like, that, I don't know. I'm sorry. We're, we're, I'm, I'm, like, taking a tangent into just, like, complaining. But it's interesting talking about this film because, and, and the legacy and, and expectations of it, because really... I had no thoughts going in because no one had told me anything about this. Like, and, and that's not like a negative thing. And I'm not like throwing Matt or Rob under the bus, but like even Matt, like Matt has hyped me up for a lot of these films going forward. He got me excited for Too Fast, Too Furious in a funny way and how bad it was. He got me excited for Tokyo Drift. He got me excited for Fast and Furious, the fourth film because the original team was coming back together. He got me really excited for Fast Five because of the positive comments he had about it. He got me really excited for Furious 7 and never said anything about Fast and Furious 6. <laughs> and so, like, I think that just kind of is enough. That, like, that paints the picture of it really well, that, that in this series, it's easy to just brush over because the positive things about this are all things that carry over into Furious 7. And so they just feel like they're a part of Furious 7 and not part of an individual film. Yeah, I think, I think too, you cut this ending by 15 minutes, especially the runway scene. Um, I don't mind like them giving up Shaw. I, I don't even mind Hobbs' character saying, you know, these guys looked out for me so now i'm gonna look out for them and they kept their like they kept their word and somebody's you know somebody from their side is threatened i don't even mind that it's the fact that boy that that runway scene number one it's the longest runway ever invented <laughs> like how that plane continues to just keep going is beyond me um but it just kind of pulls you out because you're waiting for the fact of like okay, well, they're going to get this plane down. Like, when is like when is this coming? Like, everything that was accomplished could have been accomplished in a six, seven-minute scene. Uh, instead, it's just bloated for no reason, um, where it kind of takes you out. And then again, like, it stifles some of the momentum in this movie. And I think that happens a couple of times where there's momentum and then it's stifled by a scene that extends just a little bit too long. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that this, 
a great word that you just barely said to describe this one would be bloated, that there's just a little bit too much all of the time that can make those good moments not feel as great. Yeah, yeah. So um, the, bridge, oh, Sorry, the, bri- the, the bridge scene is another one of them. Remind me what the bridge scene is. I don't even remember that. Uh, where they are going after the chip, and that's when that's when Dom literally flies across the bridge to catch Letty and they land on a car to break. Oh yeah. Okay. That scene that went on forever. I was like, okay, how many cars is this tank going to drive over? Like, okay. I saw it drive over like three people. I get it. He's a bad dude. Like you're going to stop him. It's a movie. I know you're going to, can you just stop him already? Cause this is getting excessive. And I mean, and there were so many things like there, Right before, uh, what's his bucket? Dom goes to catch Letty. The car that's wrapped up with the cord that's on the tank, like, goes through a pillar that's in between the two bridges that it shouldn't be able to go through. And it's, uh, yeah. And then you have the scene where Dom jumps across the bridge and catches Letty perfectly against the windshield. <laughs> Uh, th- that's a thing. So um, nobody's nobody's got broken ribs or any like nothing. Um, and absurd is okay. It's uh, again uh, having like stuff absurd in this movie is fine. It becomes harder to overlook when you just constantly have it. Like you said, okay, he ran over three cars. How much longer is this going to go on? you could condense these scenes up and I think it would be like, yeah, okay. That was ridiculous that he caught Letty, but the scene and the moment was succinct. But when you think about the 15 minutes that came before that, and that's like the icing on the cake, it's just, well, it's a little like, you can't help but think, well, it's a little too much. And again, that just goes to my point of you condense some of this stuff up, and standalone, I think this is a much better movie. And again, like I have this ranked fourth, but talking about it now, it's the saying the sum of its parts are better than the whole. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's so interesting. I'm going back through IMDb and just like clicking through the pictures because I had to remind myself the other things that were in this movie. And I just keep seeing like, Man, it just won't end. And it just keeps escalating. And I think it's because Fast Five was so good that they almost tried to like outdo themselves. Like that, that, that's the tricky thing with movie making. You know, take the, fa- the Emission Impossible series, for example. You continually have to make the risk more and more in- interesting, right? That, that we don't, it, it's hard to follow up a great movie. A, a sequel is hard to make to a good movie. And I, Obviously, if you've listened to the episode, and Matt already alluded to this, we both loved the episode on Fast Five. I think we both had a great time talking about that movie, and I would go out on a limb and say, especially based off the ratings we gave it, that we really liked the movie. And I think the public did too. And so to follow that up would be difficult, and I think that they tried to... It's like that kid in like high school who thinks he's really cool, but he just like overcompensates because he's not quite sure if he's cool. Like, I feel like that is what this movie is doing is like the Fast and Furious, you know, whoever's making these movies, like had a great success with Fast Five. And then they were like, 
well, I didn't know I could make a movie that good that a lot of people really like. Like, let's do it again. And then they just like overcompensate because the first one might have just been like luck or whatever it is. I don't know. That might be harsh, but that's what it feels like. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. So that was a really long live up, but uh, yeah, interesting film. And like, if I'll just say one more thing that, that just on the idea of bloated, when Paul Walker goes back to the, or Brian O'Connor, excuse me, goes back to the U.S. to see what happened with Letty. Like, that just felt so unnecessary. Like, yeah, it was a great scene for Brian O'Connor's character, and I thought it was great, and the, and the motives behind it was really interesting. But again, it just felt like too much. So I think we could go on and list a bunch of examples of this, but there's more to the film than just the bloat of it. So let's kind of move on to the next segment here and, and keep it concise. The next segment is binge points. So these are Easter eggs, details, behind-the-scenes stuff, trivia, or anything else we want to mention that does not fit anywhere else. And the, the best behind-the-scenes thing that I've ever seen, and, and one thing to say a positive note about this film, I found this film hilarious, particularly Roman and Tej, and the banter between the two of them, I find just so funny, especially the way that it continues through the whole series. And even Roman Pierce all the time, like, like, he's so funny how he's not even phased when Hobbs shoots over in the vending machine and he just, like, gets himself some chips, like, and he's interested in getting chips. Like, I, I just find his character hilarious. It, like, the humor that's involved in him just really hits my funny bone, particularly between him and Tej. So, anyway, I was looking at the behind-the-scenes stuff. At the end of the film, when Hobbs arrives at the barbecue and Roman makes a joke, like, oh, better, better hide the baby oil, and Hobbs replies... You better hide that big A forehead. Well, Hobbs' line was improvised by Dwayne Johnson. So Ludacris, who plays Tej, spitting out his drink, and Tyrese Gibson, who plays Roman, being at a loss of words, was like a genuine reaction to Dwayne Johnson's ad-lib line, which, I I mean, that scene was already hilarious. Like, I found it super funny, but it makes it even better that it's ad-lib. Yeah, um, that is, I think that's probably, like, the most like famous is the word I'll use behind the scene things behind the scenes moment about this movie that those reactions are just completely genuine. And I can't officially hear it, but when they pan the, like after he says that and he pans, like they pan the camera over and Hobbs is talking to Dom and to Brian, there's some sort of dialogue that I think is kept between Tej and Roman um, that I think they genuinely just had a moment with each other talking about the fact that like, I didn't know he was going to say that I, I cannot hear what they're saying. So I want to try and go back at some point, um, and see what they say. But yeah, that scene is actually really, really funny. Um, but, um, also too one thing that this movie actually was conceived to be two movies. Um, the first one was supposed to end with the tank scene and the second one ended with the plane. So they were thinking about splitting this into two parts. Oh, interesting. So wow. that I, I think that was a little, I think that's a little interesting that for whatever reason, um, they were going to break this part up, which is maybe why it feels bloated. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think that it's, it's overstuffed and a bit too long. Yeah. Um, 
other bench points that I'm just kind of reading through here, I didn't have a bunch of time to re- research it, but apparently that tank scene that we talked about earlier, and maybe that's why it, there's so much of it in the film, they were going to do it with CGI, but Justin Lin, I, I, he, I can tell that he prefers practical effects and practical action in driving, particularly, I think, after Fast Five, and, and almost kind of in a response to the overuse of CGI that he had before. He wanted to do things practically. So in, he insisted that the tank had to be done practically. So then I think that Universal is like, well, if we're going to approve this, we get better get, you know, you know, uh, uh, the reward for our investment, so to speak. And so they, there's just a lot of it in the film. But I found it interesting that they were willing to drive an actual tank over a bunch of cars. And to its credit, it shows in the film. Like, when he drives over the car, it's really like, oh, like, he just drove over a car. Like, it, like it does have a gut-wrenching feeling. But then that feeling doesn't have the, doesn't linger over throughout the scene because it's just like, he ran over another car. And, like, that takes away from the initial, like, he ran over a car, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, no, I like the fact that they did, you know, he does try to go practical whenever he can. Um, it actually leads to 100 cars being crashed and wrecked um, in this movie because they want practical. So I appreciate the fact that Justin Lin wants to do that. Because, again, that's with the amount of stuff they do in here, CGI could really hinder this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, and that, especially, you know, looking at Fury 7, because we are doing this weird double recording thing, I, I appreciate the, the, the grit to stick with practical effects, which probably isn't easy. No, not at all. Um and one one other little sidebar here. Um, when Dom is actually racing Letty, there's a kid who's watching the race, and he's on the top of a double-decker bus. Uh, he actually was in Fast Five when Dom and Brian are pulling the safe. That's actually Justin Lin's son. Okay, I saw that in the movie, and I was like, is that the same kid from Fast Five who's in the bus when the tank flew, or when the safe threw by? That's sweet. That, that's cool. And that's even better that it's his son. Okay, one thing, I don't know if this is a binge point, but I love that the end of the film, they went back to the original house from the first movie. I thought that was awesome. When he said 1327, I was like, what? Like, my brain was, I was like, $13.27, or is that, like, did he say $1,327, or is that, like, what does that mean? And I was, like, trying to decipher it, and then it showed the house, and I was like, oh, okay, that was pretty sweet. So I really liked that. Yeah, I did. Um, I did like the fact that they went home, so to speak, and that's what they were trying to do the entire time. So, yeah, I I like that. I I like that a lot. And again, it it that ending scene. And again, like I don't. This isn't like a binge point, but that ending scene, and they're sitting there, and of course, like Roman grabs something and eats it. But, you know, Brian snaps at him and he's like, first bite, he says, like, he says, Grace. It feels like it feels like a real family, like this group of people that have come together and cannot be broken up. And there's a line about that in Furious 7 um, that I really like is that I really like as well, but it's just the ending. It does. It brings you back to the fact of why this series is successful. 
because that feels like a genuine family thing, um, which makes, again, seven even harder to get through for me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, the other, I was just reading through these things here. Apparently somebody figured out, we already joked about the runway. It's like a 13-minute chase, and that would make the runway an estimated of about 18 miles. <laughs> Which is just ridiculous. I find that hilarious. Just slightly above average. Yeah, yeah. Just just a little bit long. You know, not nothing huge. The other thing, and this isn't so much a binge point, whoever decided to finally have like an F1 style car, I know it's not totally F1, but those weird like dune buggy things they had that were like ramps for the car that uh, Shaw was driving in, which that was sweet. But I was like... I. They looked like an F1 racer, if you know, but, you know, of course, totally different. And I was like, okay, that was great because I think having that type of car in a Fast and Furious movie would be super fun. And I think that's the closest we're ever going to get. The other thing that it made me really want is, I don't know if you ever had those Hot Wheels toys. It was like a car that the wheels were big enough that it could go either way. And when you put it one way, the cab would flip over so that the person, like the little fake person on the inside would be right side up. I'm waiting for that to be in a Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But well, I, I, Fast oh, sorry, 10. Fa- Fast 10. It's two, it's two parts. Um, it is. I'm sure we'll get Fast some crazy... Yeah, it's going to be broken up into two parts. It's been confirmed that that will be uh, the conclusion of this, this saga. So Fast 10 will be parts one and two. Oh, okay. Interesting. Why not just make it... Why make it two parts? Like, why not just make it Fast 10 and Fast 11? <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't know. I they I, they haven't said that it's going to be called Fast 11, but um, maybe they will just end up going with that. Uh, but yeah, uh, essentially what is Fast 10 is going to be split into two movies. So maybe they do call it Fast 10 and Fast 11, um, but that will be the end of this part of it. Hmm. Okay, good to know. Uh I don't really have any other bench points. I, I did just want to add that. Um, well, I just lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Oh, oh, what? What's her name? Uh, she plays uh, Hobbs. Like the the. What is she? Brazilian? The girl from Fast Five who now works with Hobbs. What's her name? Yeah. Jeez. Uh, the one that Dom tries to convince to to stay, Lena. Yes, the one that Dom kind of has a romance with before Letty comes back. Yeah, she's she is great. I was worried. Uh, what what was her name again? Sorry, Elena. Thank you. I, I was worried that she was just going to disappear after Fast Five. Because obviously at the end of Fast Five, they tease that Letty is alive. And I was like, obviously. And I also knew from the trailers for Fast Nine that Letty and Dom get back together. And I was like, yeah, she's just going to be a love interest that's just dropped like a rock as soon as Letty shows up. Obviously, she was at the beginning of this film. And I was just waiting for her to be done with. And I love that she is, like, stays for a long time. Uh, And I, I, I really, really like her character. I don't know why, but... I really like her character, particularly her haircut and Fury 7. I think she looks great with short hair, but that's totally a side note. I just think that I'm, I'm glad that she's still here and I like her character. I couldn't tell you why, but I, 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 like, her. I like her. I'm glad that she's here. 
Yeah, I thought she was. I I thought she was good too. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't have any other bench points. Do you? Uh, no, I am uh, I am set with that. Okay. Um, cool. Well, let's move on to the next segment. Then we've kind of been talking about this a lot, but this is going to be interesting. We're really this is a segment to talk about the teeter totter that we've been talking about least and likes. This is where we talk about our least favorite scene and our favorite scene. Doesn't have to be a specific scene. Maybe our just least favorite and favorite thing about it. Matt, I'll let you go first since I've gone first a bunch. What is your least favorite scene or, or, or section or thing about this film? Uh, well, I mean, overall, it's just, it's the consistency. Because uh, there's some really, really strong points that are hampered by, again, a scene that lingers too long or a glaring just why does that make sense? We talked about it with Gina Carraro's character. I forgot her character name in this movie, but her being with Shaw um, really kind of makes you backtrack and think about different scenes in the movie. But like, if I were to pick one scene overall, it really, to me, would be the fact that like they bring back Baraga not that I have a problem with him, but for me, the simple fact is in all the things that you defy logic for, like, okay, I can defy the fact that Dom jumps a bridge to catch Letty or they take down the plane with harpoon guns. I, I don't know. I've never worked in law enforcement, so maybe I'm way off here, but how in the, how is it possible that Brian could get back into the States. I get it. He's got the one friend who's a, he's got that one guy um, that he got into the altercation and with fast and in fast and furious um, that helps him get back. But wouldn't the, like he's a former FBI agent and cop who is probably known across the globe. How would anybody in that prison, a law enforcement officer not recognize him so, like you know he's like oh you have 24 hours and then they'll run your prints and realize it w- it wasn't you don't you think his face would give it away um yeah you can't tell me every single officer in that prison is in on this ruse where oh i'm gonna let brian get in so i, I don't know why it sounds stupid to be like oh a scene that makes you suspend disbelief is my least favorite but just with how simple it is, like it feels like that does not need to be in this movie at all. And their explanation for why he's going there is just so devoid of logic that because it's so simple, it just really aggravates me. So that's that's my least favorite part about this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're you're pretty spot on with that. Just to kind of comment about that, like. It feels we've talked about bloat and that is like the largest section of bloat. Like why does Brian need to go back to the U S and how is that even possible? And why is this guy the one who's helping him? And I I did think that was funny that he breaks his nose again. I mean, that was funny. It made me laugh, but the the entire time I was like, this just feels really unnecessary and highly impossible. And the two of them combined just makes it a really unengaging moment. Um, If I had to pick my least favorite, it's hard to pick one least favorite because the kind of my my least favorite thing about this film the reason i'm having a hard time enjoying it is that it just be the bloat everything seems a bit too long including the entire movie if 
I have one scene that I really just struggle to like. It's the ending with the plane. And it's not because they take it on a plane with harpoon guns. Like that totally fits within this franchise and this this series. But everything that happens in the plane, like in the cargo unit, felt way too long and way over the top. Like the amount of time that these characters can continue to brawl each other and like hide from each other and sneak around in this cargo plane just felt way drawn out. Like someone's going to get knocked down to the ground way faster than this, particularly with Dwayne Johnson's character. Like I felt like particularly in Fast Five, they showed him as like this unstoppable physical force. And then here they like beat him up a bunch. And and, and it just like, I don't know. It, it felt like, oh, we got to make Hobbs be able to be beat. I, I also have some comments about that in the next film, but just every single time it went back to the inside of the plane, I was like, again, like, like how long is this going to be? And then it would go back to the outside and like things that could happen on the outside were just way too long. And, and, and so it just continued. I was getting more and more annoyed. Like, when is this going to end? Uh, so that would be my least favorite just because my, it left a sour taste in my mouth. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and I, I, Harrison, I just wanted to point out too is, you know, we just talked about Brian going back, but again, it just goes back to the point of like oversaturation in this movie where you said it and I agree with you. I think the emotion from Brian when he's behind the cell door and Baraga is telling him about Letty and like Brian is getting visibly upset and there's tears in his eyes when he's talking about Letty. I think is really good. But again, it's just you think about the five minutes that's surrounding that part. It's like having a sandwich and you're like, oh, my God, I've got, you know, whatever, you know, you like, like, oh, my God, I've got my ham, my turkey. I've I've got my provolone cheese. Crap, my bread's three weeks past due and it's got mold (laughs) It like and it's got mold on it. So now I, I can't enjoy. The se- I can't enjoy the center of my sandwich. Like it's, exactly. it's, that's how I feel. Some of these really good emotional scenes are undercut by the surroundings. Yeah. I, I think that that also is, is perfect explanation for that one scene that you just mentioned, but also kind of just the film as a whole that like, there are so many parts about it that I, I could pick out and be like, I really like this. But then my brain thinks about like, well, think about everything that happened around that scene. And it's like, eh. I'm kind of indifferent now, uh, which is a bummer. And and I wonder, one of the things that I think Fast Five worked really, really well on is that it just, it was fast. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that it works so well and why it's easy to suspend disbelief is because you're not, it's not lingering on the edge of a cliff, so to speak. Um, you know, and, so anyway, I, I think we've said that enough. We'll, we'll move on to our, our favorite scene. What's your like for this film? So my like is, uh, again, it, it's not one particular scene. I like the emotion behind this. Uh, particularly, I really like the scene with Shaw and Toretto um, after Dom and Letty race. And just Shaw's mentality throughout the whole film of, look, 
uh, a team is just a collection of parts. And when he's in the beginning too, when he's talking to the one henchman that, you know, Hobbs beats the crap out of and lets go so that he can get close to Shaw. He just says, it's amazing how one little thing can make the biggest problem, but you take out the bad part and everything works smooth. Like I just like Shaw's mentality in this. It feels so real for this character. His comment to Dom about, you know, that makes you predictable. And in our line of work, I can reach out and break you whenever I want to. Um, I like that. I mentioned it earlier. I really like the scene where Brian is upset seeing the picture of Letty and tells Dom that this is what cops do. Um, you know, look, Letty's she's dead. Um, I just like that. I think, again, there's a lot of really, really good emotion in this movie and some really strong performances. And there's some really, really good humor. Like, again, they're going over the, you know, the mission plan. He's like, hey, uh, he first asked Han, like, you got uh, Tyrese's character, Roman. You yeah. got, you got, do you have any more of those chips? Uh, and he's just like, he gives him the empty bag. And he's like, Tez, you got money? You're a million? That's how you stay a millionaire. Um, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, which one of these are a dollar? And, you know, it's, there's some, again, there's really great performances here. There's really great drama and emotion. And there's some really funny scenes. Um, which again, if you take all those, like, man, um, there's some, there's some really, really good stuff here that, you know, is throughout the entire movie. Yeah, man, I really agree with what you said. I think for me, some of the best things about the entire film is the characters. I think whether it's the emotion or the humor, I think the reason that it's so good is because the actors give performances that feel so specific for these characters. Like, like Paul Walker feels like Brian O'Connor. Vin Diesel feels like Dom Toretto, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. Like, these feel like characters and they feel like friends. And whether it's the moment at the end where they're having a barbecue or when everybody's getting phone calls to come help Dom and the way that they immediately are willing to go help him out. Like, that feels genuine to these characters and I really love it for that reason and it makes the humor that much funnier but if I had to pick a favorite scene it's going to be the scene it's one of okay no I have a favorite scene but then there's another scene that I want to talk about that isn't my favorite but I liked it so my favorite scene is the race between Dom and Letty I, I found the race engaging it's fun to see races I really really am engaged the way that Justin Lin directs movement and energy i think he does really really well especially now having seen fury 7 and seen a different director do it it makes me really appreciate justin lynn's skill for it even more and so the race is super engaging but i love the emotion behind the race particularly dom i think the hand the, the way that dom handles the memory wipe so to speak of letty is really well done the, the memory wipe trope is been used way too much to retcon a character coming back and i think that it's always dumb uh, used in a really dumb way and, and and i love the way that it works for letty and dom and how michelle rodriguez plays that character i love the conversation afterwards and i love dom's uh composure and his calmness but also the sincerity that he has in talking to letty and his interest in truly getting her back i found it really really great 
so that would probably be the scene that that stuck with me the most. Um, but I kind of agree with you in the the scenes you talked about, but also just kind of throughout peppered through the film those those moments of good humor and good emotion that feel so a part of the characters. Um, the last scene that I want to talk about that is my favorite bone that I really liked is when Gal Gadot's character, uh, Giselle, dies. I knew that this was the film that was going to catch us up to Tokyo Drift in the confusing timeline. And I figured that something was going to happen to her character. I was worried that she was going to be with Han until the end of this film and we were just going to have to fill in the dots that she disappeared somewhere along the way. I love, I, I didn't think they were going to have the guts to kill her off. And I'm glad that they did. I think it makes the character of Han even better, particularly in Tokyo Drift. Like his, his almost like flatness that is in Tokyo Drift and the way he reacts to Sean being interested in a girl, I think retroactively is made better by what happens in this film. And I appreciate the way that they had it happened and that they actually allowed it to happen. I, I really, really liked that. Yeah, no, I think those are all very good points. I think uh, it, again, just to like specifically talk about Han, man, he's, I don't, I don't know what it is, but man, there's just something about him. I just, you, you can't help but just love the character. Um, oh, totally. And I, every time he's on screen, it's just, I just love him. I just, he doesn't do, he doesn't do a lot, but what he does works. Oh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, even the scene where him and Roman are joking while uh, Giselle and Riley, I think is Gina's character, go and get the dude with the harpoon, you know, and they're like joking. That scene's great. I, but even the way he's like in the background and Roman goes up to him and asks for some chips and he just like hands him the empty bag by turning it upside down. Like there is something about the charisma that Sung Kong has as Han that makes this character like one of the most lovable characters I've seen ever. I, and even from Tokyo Drift, I, I was sad at the end of Tokyo Drift when he died. I was like, that's it? Because I loved him, and I'm, so I'm glad that we get more of him because he is such a likable character. I, I, so yeah, I totally agree with what you said. But that will be it. Oh, unless you're sorry, did I interrupt you? No, yeah, it's just... Again, it it speaks to the fact, too, that even though, like, Han and Roman, when you think about how much time they actually share on the screen together, it's not a ton. Like, those two characters or characters individually, they don't share a lot of on-screen time together, but just the performances that these characters put to screen again, just makes you think that they're family. Like, it's it's unbelievable when you think about the short amount of time that the characters have had together on screen, um, how well they all gel together. Like, especially characters like Han and Roman and things like that. Like, everybody feels connected. I think it's great because I have no idea what it's like behind the scenes in actual production, how much these characters are actually together. I mean, the actors are actually together as these characters, but they really do feel like a group of people that hangs out and loves being with each other. And it it shows. And it, as we'll get into in the next episode that you should definitely listen to, it makes that so much stronger in the best way possible. So that'll be it for Lease and Likes. We're going to move on to the very last segment here 
which is Franchise Inquiry. This has been a long episode, but I, I think we've kind of talked about this a bunch, but Matt, do you have any other thoughts about this film in its involvement in the franchise or, or any of that moving forward? And, and yeah, any, any thoughts about that? Because I, I think I've kind of expressed mine through the entire episode. Yeah, I think just, and obviously this will be more for another episode. Watching this one today, it's so weird and it's so eerie seeing some of the themes that are set up in this one and knowing what happens in Furious 7. It's hard for me to not watch these two movies without thinking about the real life situation and some of the very eerie dialogue that are that's in these movies and we'll talk about this during Furious 7 cuz I give them credit for leaving some of the script in that they did given what happened um like this is just a movie that really embodies the whole and 7 but really embodies the whole family premise based on what happened. I think there's a lot in this movie that I look at in terms of a real life aspect, um, knowing what happened in real life to the, the actor Paul Walker and how it affected the people that make these, that make these movies. So I just think this movie and seven, but really looking back on it now, it's just so bizarre to me how much this hits home. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. Particularly, you said this earlier, and I forgot to comment on it, so I'm glad you brought it up again. I feel like Shaw is a great foil to the character of Dom, particularly with the ideas of family and working together and never turn your back on family, et cetera, et cetera. And the way that those unknowingly prepare you for the reality of what happens is kind of touching that whoever you want to be responsible, writer, director, actors, whatever, the the filmmakers, all of those people involved in making this are able to capture such a spirit of family and brotherhood and relationship that Furious 7 is the gut punch that it is. I mean, it's not just Furious 7, and I, we're going to talk about this way more in the next episode, so I don't want to ruin too much, it, but it's, I'm talking about this film. It's not just what happens in real life and the way that it's portrayed and carry over into Furious 7. It's everything that leads up to it that makes that moment what it is. Definitely that moment and the way it's done and the way it's handled has a part of it, but like you're saying, things that happen in this film and the way that it, it adds to these characters definitely affects that and that moment in fear seven that we they you know what we're talking about wouldn't have the same impact if it wasn't for the success that these film film films have in the theme of family and in the characters and the connections that they have perfectly said well thank you i, I try <laughs> but it's mainly just when you get my mind rolling so um i think that's it for franchise inquiry i don't know what there else is to say because I'm also just really sad to talk about Fury 7. So we'll close out this episode by revealing the rotten. Then also just kind of giving it some thoughts on our rankings. We should have done this in Pick Your Poison, but I forgot. So we'll kind of do it as we, we talk about our ratings. So to carry over the traditions from Matt's show, because he is here, we are going to rate this out of five reels, because that's what he does on his show. Matt goes to the movies. 
So out of five reels, whoever gives it the lowest rating is the rotten. Now, for perspective, if anybody forgot, Fast Five, for example, I gave four and a half stars. Uh, Matt gave it like four point, I think it was like 4.7 something that you gave it. Oh, oh, I have it, 4.85. Um, so obviously, we really, really like that film. So Matt, I will let you go first. I'll let you take the baton. How many reels do you give Fast and Furious 6? Uh, this would be... It, so for me, this is a four because, again, it sounds like I spent some of the time like really like dogging this movie. But I will always come back to the fact of how this, how this movie makes me feel emotionally will outweigh how this movie makes me think logically. Um, and that's okay with me. I, I give this movie four reels. Okay. Okay. Four reels. Well, we also, as a recap, guessed Matt as the rotten. We both did, thinking that he would like it less than I. So I am going to give this film 3.5 reels. So I guess I'm the rotten. We were both wrong. Um, and and 3.5 is not low. Like, <laughs> after you give it a four, I feel bad giving it something less. But it's not because I dislike the film. I think it's just because it's a 3.5 where it's a well-made film. There's things about it that I really like, like we just talked about and totally ditto what Matt said. But there are some things that just left a little bit too much of a sour taste in my mouth where I can't give it a four. And it's a film that like is kind of one and done. Like I watched it, I'm ready to move on. I'd rewatch a different Fast and Furious movie way before this one. So 3.5 is where it's going to be for me. I guess that makes me the Ron. But again, 3.5 isn't bad. I mean, 3.5 is a great rating. So... As far as rankings go, I originally put this at four. Granted, these are all just total guesses. I definitely feel like it's going to go down. Um, well, it also could go up because I have the fate of the furious above it. I have no idea. It, it, it's Tokyo Drift is definitely going to go above it, which is currently is below it. Um, so I don't know. It, it's going to be somewhere in the middle of the pack for me. Matt, you have it. I put it in the chat as well so you can look at it. But you've got it at four. Uh, right above the original film and right beneath Tokyo Drift. What kind of what are your thoughts about the the closing ranking you're going to have? Yeah, I feel like this. I don't think my rankings will change. Obviously, they will change with the release of Fast Nine because it's going to go. I, I cannot imagine I would rank Fast Nine lower than Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> So something is going to have to change. I think one thing that would change is not the position of these, but looking at it, I don't, I'd have to reassess my ranking for Tokyo Drift and not in terms of where, where it is on the list, but my actual ranking for it. Cause I have it rated low, but I have it above fast and furious six. Um, so I, I feel that's where I would sit there and, you know, adjust. Obviously, with Fast 9, like I said, something will move. Um, but I don't think Fast and Furious 6 would go. I, I don't feel like it falls below 5 or 6. So I just, I don't see it move. Right now, as is, it wouldn't move for me. I just have to readjust my actual reels for Tokyo Drift. Okay. I, I'm curious, though. You also gave 
and obviously reels can change. I changed mine about Fast and Furious 4, but you gave them both four reels. I'm curious, just totally asking out of curiosity, which one do you, is it that you like more, Fast and Furious 6 or Fast and Furious? Over, so again, it's weird. Overall as a movie, I like Fast and Furious 4 more. Um, seeing the original crew back and everything, but again, there's more emotion tied to this movie, which makes me think about this movie more than it does Fast and Furious 4. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, I guess in conclusion of this episode, we are excited to talk about Furious 7 and I'm the Rotten. That's a good way to sum it up. Um, before we really do sayonara on this episode, Matt, I do want to give you a chance to just plug your show one last time real briefly. You mentioned at the top of the episode that you've got some great episodes coming about Tom Cruise that I cannot wait for, that I cannot wait for. That sounded weird coming out of my mouth. But anyway, all the links to Matt's show are going to be in the show notes, but also, Matt, I'll give you one more chance to talk about your show. Yeah, thank you. Um, Again, uh, Matt goes to the movies. It's wherever you can get your podcasts. Uh, A a Tom Cruise binge is coming up. That's going to be very exciting. Uh, But also, I do have... uh, It's been kind of busy for getting stuff done. Um, Usually, Harrison and I... uh, I feel like Harrison, I, I don't mean to talk for you, but a lot of content coming out lately. So, yeah. um, you know, with Loki and these Fast and Furious movies, I just did one for The Dark Knight. Uh, I do have a recording for Spiral from the Book of Saw in Equilibrium. Those will both be coming out. My first Tom Cruise episode, Minority Report, will be coming out on the 25th. Um, Spiral from the Book of Saw and Equilibrium, those will both be uploaded on the 24th. Uh, so there's a lot of new stuff coming out for Matt Goes to the Movies. Um, yeah, it's just uh, a, a busy time right now. Yeah, I I feel like I haven't even had the time to edit and upload Fast Five. Um, obviously, people listening to this will have Fast Five released, but for those that don't know, we are recording this on... Tuesday, June 22nd, which means Fast 9 comes out in two days, so that's a lot of episodes to record and edit and upload before that one comes out. Uh, yeah, lots of content coming out that uh, both here at the Base and Binge on Matt goes to the movies that I'm very, very excited about. So thank you, as always, Matt, for being here. Thank you for making me watch these Fast and Furious movies forever ago. I don't remember what episode it was. I, I think it was a monthly update. Speaking of which, I don't know if I'm going to bring those back, but that's a total side tangent. Um, on one of the episodes, anyway, my mind, goodness, I asked, should I do the Fast and Furious movies? And you commented and said, yes, you should. And I'm glad you made me because I was able to rope you in on it, and these episodes have been a ton of fun. So thank you again for being here. I really, really do appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me as always. Of course. But this will conclude our episode on Fast and Furious 6. Once again, this is The Basin Binge. My name is Harrison, but that is all for now. Ciao, ciao. (laughs) 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.